Yo, what is going on, everyone? My name is Nick, or The Notorious Fantasy, and today I am joined with my good buddy over here, Corey from Fantasy Stock Exchange. All of his links are going to be down below in the description. I'm going to let him talk in a second, but before I let him talk, I'm going to introduce what's happening in this video. We are doing hot takes for the AFC. Tomorrow's video is going to be hot takes for the NFC, and we're taking one player or one take from each division and are going to be talking about what that hot take is and why we believe that it is entirely possible that some players might outperform completely their ADP, or maybe they're just going to be completely garbage, or maybe it's just some Something completely different than that and it's hopefully you guys end up enjoying this so Corey what do you got to say here before we get into it uh yeah like Nick said go check out the fantasy stock exchange on YouTube we're nearing in on about 350 subscribers our draft guide that we dropped um a couple weeks ago is is discounted to three dollars if you prove that you're uh subscribed to the YouTube channel so make sure you go check that out that'll be on uh, on my Twitter it'll be the link to that so at football stock on Twitter exactly how it sounds if you guys would like to check out my draft guide as well, the link is down below in the description, patreon.com slash notoriousfantasy. It is $7.50 for the month of August. It has all the things that you need to win your 2020 fantasy football championship. So please make sure to check that out. I'm obviously editing this in because I forgot to say it at the beginning of the video. Back to future Nick now. All right, so guys, make sure you check that out. So the first division we are going to be talking about here is the AFC North. And if you guys don't know who's in there, that's the Baltimore Ravens, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Cleveland Browns, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, Bush, would you like to go first here? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, – I'm actually repping LSE right now, which is kind of dope because my first hot take is on the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm saying that Big Dick Joe, Joe Burrow, is going to have more fantasy points than Kyler Murray had last year. So for reference, Kyler Murray had 297 fantasy points, I believe. And he, he was the quarterback seven uh, finish. I believe he was like quarterback 12 in like points per game. So he did this with only 3,700 passing yards, about 20 touchdowns, 12 picks. And, but the reason he had this obviously is because Kyler Murray rushed for like 500 yards and had like six or seven rushing touchdowns. So not only does Burrow have pretty similar rushing upside, his passing upside is significantly higher than Kyler Murray's was because he inherits a situation with great receiving options. They have A.J. Green, who, as much as I don't like him for fantasy, is going to help the quarterback. They have Tyler Boyd. They have John Ross as a deep threat. They have uh, T. Higgins, who they drafted. Auden Tate's kind of decent. C.J. Uzama's kind of decent. Joe Mixon's good out of the backfield. Same with Gio Bernard. Like, they have a lot of receiving options, and 616 vacated pass attempts last year from uh, Ryan Finley and Andy Dalton combined. We could see similar, if not better, numbers for Joe Burrow than Kyler Murray had last year. The defense is terrible. I know they added a lot of pieces to it, but it's still not good. They, they're top five in percentage of pass plays last year in neutral game scripts and, and when they were trailing, like whatever. They passed the ball a lot under head coach Zach Taylor. So um, much like the Browns uh, in the AFC North, um, we did a video on my channel a couple weeks ago going over the strength of schedules. And we noticed that the AFC North teams have really easy schedules. And uh, six of his first eight opponents – uh, Joe Burrows, that is, are favorable pass defenses. And the ones that aren't favorable pass defenses are divisional games. So it's sometimes they're a little interesting and they can be kind of a toss-up. So in my opinion, it should be wheels up for Joe Burrow. He's going to play all 16 games. He's starting week one. So they, you know he's not, he doesn't have any competition. I, I think he's going to finish as a top 10 quarterback just based on his weapons and his rushing ability and uh, the amount of times he's going to throw the ball. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that being possible. I think it might take like a couple of weeks for him to really start firing it up, obviously, because there's no preseason. So the first game, he's probably just going to shut himself up against the Chargers defense. But at the end of the day, it, it, it takes a couple of games anyways for these rookie quarterbacks. So that's definitely possible. So my take here 
for the first division, obviously, here of the AFC North, is that Odell Beckham Jr. finishes outside of the top 20 wide receivers. Now, you guys know, if you guys watch me for a while, that I don't like Odell Beckham Jr., but it's not because I don't think he's very good because I think he's very talented. I just don't think that he's going to be able to finish very high this year. Last year, Odell Beckham Jr. finished as wide receiver number 25, playing in all 16 games, and he had a measly 12.6 PPR points per game, which ranked 31st at wide receiver, which is obviously not super hot if you think he's going to potentially finish inside of the top 20 this year. And he's getting drafted yet again inside of the top 12, I have noticed on most ADP. So he had 133 targets last year, ranking 12th at wide receiver, but he only ended up catching 74 balls and just over 1,000 yards with 1,035 yards. And he only brought in four total touchdowns. And I don't think that this is necessarily his, it's really kind of not really his fault, but I think that this situation that he was in last year just got worse now, not because of the fact that the coaching is worse, just because I think that Cleveland is going to be running the ball more under head coach Kevin Stefanski. If we look at the coaching tendencies in 2019, the Cleveland Browns under Ke- uh, Freddie Kitchens were 18th in pass play percentage with 59.61%, whereas the Vikings were at 51.70%, ranking 29th at pass play percentage. And I believe that Stefanski is really going to be taking over the play calling here. So I think they are going to be running the ball a lot more because why the fuck wouldn't you if you have two of the best running backs in the NFL, like Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are arguably both top 12 running backs in talent, maybe not to you, but to some people they are, especially to me. So I think that they're going to be running the ball a lot. So I don't see Odell really having all that great of a year this year. I think he will be a fine regular wide receiver, but for fantasy football, I'm just staying away from him. And I think that him finishing outside of the top 20 is going to be uh, just what happens this season. So what do you think about that? Uh, Yeah, I'm all the way out on Odell Beckham. I have him ranked about, about 20th, I believe. And the reason I'm out on him is because he's probably one of the biggest names in fantasy football. So if you play in any kind of home league, there's no shot in hell you're getting Odell Beckham at a discount because there's <laughs> chances are people are going to see his name and be like, oh, Odell Beckham Jr. who's not going in the first round because he always went in the first round when he was in New York. And they're going to reach on him in like the mid second round. Like not a chance. Like I would pick Odell if he was like a fourth or fifth round pick, but there's no way in hell I'm actually going to get him there. Yeah, there's, there's no way. It's it's all because of the name value, like you said. And plus, people really think that, oh, Odell can't finish outside of the top 20. He did it last year, and I and they think he's just going to come somehow bounce back. And a lot of analysts talk him up, and I just don't believe that that's going to happen. So uh, you got anything more on Odell, or can we move on to the next division? No, we can move on to the next division. Um, the, the next division we got is the uh, AFC South, I believe. And my hot take and, and bold prediction is that Deshaun Watson wins MVP. And... As a result of this, he's the quarterback one in fantasy. And the reason I say this is because I see a very similar like trajectory going into this season as I did for Russell Wilson in 2017. And if anyone, I I owned Russell Wilson in 2017. If anyone remembers what happened, the Seahawks defense basically was decimated by injuries and they had no run game. So it was, it was essentially Russell Wilson versus the world. And he finished as the quarterback one. And had they won more than nine games, he would have been the MVP that year instead of Tom Brady or Carson Wentz before he got injured. But uh, so I tweeted this out a couple months ago in the set in the five games, the Texans failed to rush for more than a hundred yards. Watson threw the ball 38 and a half times, which is over a 600 pass attempt pace in the six games. The Texans allowed more than 30 points. Watson threw the ball 35 times, which is a 555 pass attempt pace. So both of those things happened twice. And Watson threw 43 times as a result, the defense in Houston got worse. They lost DJ reader and, 
J.J. Watt's kind of slowing down at this point in his career. They, they didn't have Jadavian Clowney, but that was going back to last year. Like, the defense isn't good. Their corners are shit. They have Lonnie Johnson, fucking Vernon Hargraves back there. They're terrible. Uh, the rushing attack got worse as well. Anyone who wants to tell me that David Johnson is a better pure runner than Carlos Hyde is wrong because David Johnson is a terrible running back. He's a great receiving running back, but he can't run the ball. So Watson basically is on his own this year. Like, it's just Deshaun Watson versus the world. And Deshaun Watson is good enough to actually do that. So he presents a high floor. He, he carried the ball 82 times last year, fourth among quarterbacks. He had seven rushing touchdowns, which was second among quarterbacks. If you give a court, uh, like an elite quarterback talent, high volume, big play receivers, I know Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks aren't DeAndre Hopkins, but they do help the quarterback because they're deep threats. They'll get those big plays and they'll um, make shit happen after the catch. He has no rushing attack and a defense that'll keep him throwing. It's going to be like good things are going to happen when that happens for an elite quarterback, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I mean, they also have on defense, J.J. Watt. And obviously, J.J. Watt, that guy just can't play a full season. He'll probably play like eight games. Yeah. He always ends up getting hurt. And that's obviously going to help out Deshaun Watson. Well, not really help out Deshaun Watson, but help him out for fantasy-wise. I think it's entirely possible that he could be the quarterback one. There's like a list of like six guys that I think could be that guy. And he is one of them. Same thing that goes for winning the MVP. I think that's entirely possible as well. He would just really have to put the team on his back for them to win a certain amount of games to get into the playoffs yeah, but obviously win 10 or 11 games he should win the mvp like based on their roster yeah i mean their division is pretty soft too. the texans obviously themselves they got the titans the colts and the jaguars the jaguars should really be two free wins if i'm being completely honest with you like yeah. i think the jaguars will be fine for fantasy but for real life they're just gonna be absolute shit i think this take is very good i just worry about the fact that the receiving core there is just kind of injury prone. And I know you probably, you obviously know this as well, but without DeAndre Hopkins, I feel like it might be a little hard for him to do it. But at the end of the day, if Cooks and or Fuller can stay healthy, like that, that's going to be a nasty wide receiver core there in Houston. So All you got anything else? Too is, is basically an outlier season in terms of rushing the ball for Watson to like get yeah. a QB one performance. Like if he somehow had like 11 rushing touchdowns would probably like next year at this time, we'd probably be saying, Oh, he's going to regress or whatever. But, like, it does happen. Like, he could have a season like that if it's just him versus the world. Yeah, definitely. We could, we saw him, like, in the playoffs literally take over against the Bills. Yeah. Like, it was literally just him versus the Bills. No one was doing anything, and he took over. So, I could definitely see that happening. So, my hot take for this division, the AFC South, is that Gardner Minshew is a top 15 quarterback. Now, according to Bush, this isn't a hot take at all. And according to ADP, it is because he's not even going inside of the top 20. And I think that he should be, obviously, because the guy is very good. We saw it last season. The Jaguars are a complete and utter fucking dumpster fire at defense. Their defense used to be the Saxonville Jaguars. They used to be a scary defense. And now they're, they're like a JV football team. They're going to get folded over like a table in Buffalo. So, on pace for over 150. 50 pass attempts last season and he finished his quarterback number 19 playing in just 14 games now obviously he didn't have the greatest stats last year but they're much better than you would think because he had 67 carries this is something that's important that we talked about or that Bush just talked about with Deshaun Watson he had 67 carries ranking sixth at quarterback 344 rushing yards fifth at quarterback but he still scored zero total touchdowns that is almost impossible to happen if you're rushing as the sixth most uh, quarterback and you're not scoring a single touchdown I would expect that to 
go up. Obviously, it's hard to predict quarterback rushing touchdowns, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's up there with a guy like Josh Allen scoring five touchdowns, maybe even higher this season, especially on this offense. I think that his passing attempts are going to obviously go up. I said that he was on pace for 550 through 470. Last season, he had 300 or 3,271 passing yards and 21 passing touchdowns at a 4.5% rate, and that's good. It wasn't some type of crazy rate at like eight where I expect it to regress. 4.5, 5%-ish touchdown rate is something very normal for quarterback and I think is obtainable for him. Now, I understand that he only threw six touch or INTs last year, which is very good. He did have 20 interceptable passes, but I think the more he develops with the team, he will look better. And he did have some down games, but that was after they decided to bench him for Nick Foles. And then they decided to get Nick Foles the fuck out of there. They took him out and then they put uh, Garter Minshew back in and then Garter Minshew looked better like two games later. So I think we see him look way better this season. Obviously, the Jaguars don't have a game where they always win. They always play really good in London since obviously there's the Corona, so they can't go there. But Gardner Minshew should still be good. And I think that even finishing inside of the top 12 is entirely in Gardner Minshew's wheelhouse. So what do you think about the Minshew man? Yeah, before we started recording, I told you that I have him, I have him ranked in my top 12. So I have him ranked at quarterback 11 because I, I don't know why his ADP is quarterback 29. Like literally everything is in his favor to like just be basically what Jameis Winston has been the last couple of years. Like your defense is terrible. Like your secondary is awful. You have big play receivers. I know Chris Conley isn't like a household name, but his, he's a freak athlete. He can get deep. DJ Chark is the same way. LaVisca Chenault is awesome after the catch. Same goes for guy, even DD Westbrook's pretty good after the catch. Like, yeah. And you have a red zone threat now in Tyler Eifert, like, and everyone knows that Leonard Fournette ain't scoring any touchdowns. So it's not like you have to worry about that. So it, it's basically wheels up for, for Gardner Minshew. Like, I don't see why he's not like a consensus top 15 quarterback in the industry. Like everything points to him throwing 600 times, progressing naturally as a player, being a sixth round rookie who was like on and off the starting uh, roster all year last year. Like you're just naturally going to feel more comfortable when you don't have to look over your shoulder. Like I I, I just don't, I don't, I don't see why he's not a consensus top 15 quarterback in the industry, to be honest. No, I don't see it either. I mean, the guy literally knows that he has to win like five games by himself just so that he doesn't lose his job. I feel like he doesn't want to lose his job, so he has to, to play well. And like you said with the wide receiver core, they have probably the most average wide receiver core ever besides DJ Chark, but not average meaning like they're shit, just the most average names ever. Like you said, D.D. Westbrook, Chris Connolly, all guys that you don't expect to be really good, but they're all pretty good. So do you got anything else on uh, Minshew or can we move on here? No, we could probably move on. Um, right. Going into the AFC East, and you mentioned Buffalo's tables. I'm going to go to Buffalo. And a guy that is, is being, like, no one is talking about this dude. And it's really shocking because of how good he is and because of how good the team is. Stephon Diggs has top five upside. And my take is that he finishes top five. So I know, and I know what everyone's thinking right away. Josh Allen's a shitty deep passer. Yes, he is. He did rank in the top 10 in deep attempts, though. And he took a big jump from year one to year two. And the same thing could happen in year three. But I'm not going to count on all that because that's just, like, speculation. Here's why I like Stephon Diggs. I think they traded a first round pick and then some for this, uh, for Stefan Diggs for a reason. He could be heavily targeted, unlike he's ever been in Minnesota. He has never been used in the slot because Adam Thielen is there. He's never been used in the red zone because Kyle Rudolph and they had Dalvin Cook and all this stuff. He only had a 10.9 red zone target share in Minnesota in 2019. He only had five red zone targets total. They're like, Isaiah McKenzie in Buffalo had more red zone targets than Stefan Diggs last year. He only had one red zone reception last year he should step into the primary red zone role in 2020 and their leading targets um 
I'll just tell you their leading targets were Smoke Brown, so John Brown, Cole Beasley, and Isaiah McKenzie, all of whom are small and they're not as good as uh, of separators as Stephon Diggs. He had 140 plus targets, or he has 140 plus targets and double digit touchdown upside in this offense. I tweeted this out a couple days ago, but receivers who saw more targets, Stephon Diggs had 94 targets in 2019. DD Westbrook had 100 targets. Curtis Samuel had 105 targets. Danny Amendola had 97 targets. Larry Fitzgerald had 108 targets. None of these guys finished as higher than wide receiver 36. Stephon Diggs finishes wide receiver 21 on 94 targets. Why? It's the same argument as AJ Brown because he's really fucking good. That's why he's going to see more than 94 targets this year. While Buffalo isn't the most pass happy offense in the NFL, they still passed 47 more times last year than Minnesota did. 513 is a lot more than 466. The bills also targeted receivers uh, per sharp football stats at a 66% rate, which was fourth highest in the NFL. Minnesota was at 47%, fourth lowest in the NFL. Diggs' volume is 100% going up next year. If he doesn't get 120, 130, 140 targets, I will be shocked because, yes, the offense like wants to lean on their defense and run through Singletary and Moss, but Diggs is the primary option. And, and guys like Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, Michael Thomas, when they're the, the, the stone-cold like number one target on their team, the team does whatever they can to get them mismatches, which is move them into the slot, get them against those nickel corners, and eat. And those type of targets are the type of targets that pad your, uh, pad your floor on the season because Diggs has never been a high-floor player, and that's why. It's because he's never been given those easy matchups, those seven uh, A-dot targets where you just throw it a slant over the middle to get a first down. That's never been Stephon Diggs' game until this year. Now, I, I can see this happening 100% because I know how good Stefan Diggs is. He's obviously on Minnesota. He was, in reality, probably the better wide receiver than Adam Thielen, but Kirk Cousins just likes Adam Thielen more, so obviously that's why. But to me, the issue is not really that Stefan Diggs isn't good at all. It's just that I think Josh Allen spreads the ball out too much for Stefan Diggs to get a shit ton of targets. Now, I can 100% see it happening. I can see him getting fed the ball by Josh Allen. They obviously show training camp videos where he's just getting the ball every five seconds, getting fed the ball and making every single catch because the guy is very good at catching the ball. Obviously, that's why he's a fucking wide receiver in the NFL. But I just don't see it necessarily happening, especially with, like you said, they do run the ball a lot there. Obviously not as much as Minnesota because Minnesota just runs the ball every single play because that's all they could do with Kirk Cousins. But at the end of the day, I don't think Stefan Diggs can do this, but it is definitely possible, especially with Josh Allen really progressing this season like I expect as well. They want to have Patrick Mahomes go up against Josh Allen to see who has the bigger arm in the NFL. I don't know if you saw that. And I, I think did. Josh Allen might somehow be able to win that. So I think Stefan Diggs will be good this year, just not to me a top five potential. So for yeah, me, my, my, my more like realistic projection for Diggs is I said he has 140 plus target and double digit touchdown upside. My more realistic target for him is probably like 125 targets, which would give him uh -huh. about like a 24% target share, which I think is definitely like realistic yeah. and like seven or eight touchdowns, which would probably make him a top 12 receiver. Yeah, that, that's definitely way more possible than top five. But I could, I could see either of those happening. Now, yeah. my hot take is I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, if you guys are, have been here for a while. So you probably know that. But I don't like Devontae Parker, and I think Bush does. I'm, pretty, I'm almost sure he does. I've cooled I don't on think, him a little bit, but I, I do still like him quite a bit. 
Okay, I just don't think Devontae Parker is going to be a top 20 wide receiver in fantasy football this year. He's going inside of the top 20 at wide receiver, and I would be bullish enough to say he probably doesn't even finish inside of the top 25 because Parker entered the 2020 NFL season after having literally a phenomenal season in 2019. If you guys remember up against the Patriots, it might have been the last week or the second to last week, he made Stephon Gilmore his son. He absolutely destroyed Stephon Gilmore, and that's what really made an impact on a lot of people. A lot of people are going to go back to that game, talk about how good he looked against arguably the best corner in the NFL and really move him up the rankings off of stuff like that or just the fact that he was really good the last eight games of the season he finished as wide receiver number 11 playing all 16 games it was wide receiver number 14 in PPR points per game with 15.4 and though the season started well my biggest concern is what happened at the beginning of the season when Preston Williams was healthy because it took Preston Williams to get hurt tear his ACL for both Preston or not Preston Williams for both Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki to really start doing something on this offense. And even with that said, now what happens if Tua comes in? I think it just throws everything to the fucking window. It could be either guy that is getting a lot of targets on this team, and that scares me even more. If we look at Devontae Parker's splits with and without Preston Williams, it was eight games versus eight games. In the eight games with Preston Williams, he was only averaging 9.75 half PPR points per game and 11.5 PPR points per game. And this was because of the target total. The target total went up by three once Preston Williams ended up getting hurt, and all of his stats were going way up. He went from 50 yards uh, per game to 100 yards per game. His targets went up from 6.5 to 9.5. His receptions went from 3.5 to 5.5, and his half PPR points and PPR points increased by at least six plus. So I just don't think we see Devontae Parker tear it up and have that super dominant season like we had last year. I think he will be a good wide receiver NFL-wise, and I think he'll probably finish inside of the top 30 at wide receiver. So you won't be super disappointed with drafting him. He won't be an absolute bust, but I think where he is going, I would rather look elsewhere at other guys like Terry McClellan, Lauren, DK Metcalf, all the other players going around his area. So what do you think about Devontae Parker? Okay, so I disagree with you on a couple things, but I do agree that if Tua comes in, like who the fuck knows what's happening? I, I do yeah. think the best thing for Devontae Parker is for Ryan Fitzpatrick to start. And here's why. So you said the splits with Preston Williams. The reason I don't like those splits and I don't like that argument is because Josh Rosen was the quarterback for about two and a half of those games. And if you remove those games from uh, the splits, uh, Devontae Parker was the more productive receiver, the more targeted receiver, and and all that. And the reason for that is because Josh Rosen was the the quarterback two in camp, as was Preston Williams. He was on the second team in camp because he was undrafted. So they Mm -hmm. were able to develop chemistry that way. And then once they went into the season, they they continued it, obviously, because they were then starters. So the reason I don't like that argument and I don't take those splits is because is because of the kind of chemistry thing. But again, if Tua starts, I, I have no idea who the, the number one target is. Um, Preston Williams is also coming off a late season ACL tear. So who knows if he's even going to be ready for week one. And we've also seen the studies on uh, players coming one year off of ACL tears. So the, it kind of discounts how good he's going to be in his second year. But the real reason I'm actually concerned for Devontae Parker is let me read you the corners he's going to face the first nine weeks of the season. He has Steph Gilmore in week one. Obviously, he torched him once, but you don't want your players playing Steph Gilmore. Like, it's, it's just yeah, a no. thing. Tredavious White week two. Then he has the Jaguars, smash matchup. Then he has the Seahawks, which have Jamal Adams now. Then he has um, uh, the 49ers, so he's going to probably face Richard Sherman. He, then he has the Broncos. He's going to face A.J. Boye. Then he has the Chargers. Pick your fucking poison there. They have, like, three elite corners on their team. 
Then he has the Rams. He's going to have Jalen Ramsey. And then he has uh, the Cardinals and he's going to have Patrick Peterson. Like he like legitimately has one good matchup, like the first nine weeks of the season. So that's why I cooled on Devontae Parker. It's not necessarily because of the Preston Williams splits or all this stuff. But I do think, I think his ceiling is 100% capped because of the, the beginning schedule that he has and the fact that Tua might take over at some point. Yeah, no, and I'm, what Fitzpatrick was saying was actually that he would be happy to let Tua start. That was the quote that came out a couple of days ago. So I don't know what the fuck is going to happen there. I'm a Dolphins fan. They haven't really said anything. Flores hasn't came out and said what is going to end up happening. So it could either be five. It might be eight games for Tua. I think that's four. what it's going to probably be. I, I think you, you don't want Tua not starting any games in his rookie season. I think you want him to play like five to eight games. Like, But you don't want him playing like 13 either. I think. Really, I think he's going to start either like eight to 10, I would say, for me. Yeah. All well, right. Fitzpatrick could very well beat pull a Fitzpatrick and have a couple – like a meltdown game here or there or whatever against like the Seahawks or the 49ers or something because they do yeah, have or- a hard schedule, the Dolphins, so – yeah, he's either going to be absolutely shit or he's just going to absolutely destroy. That's that's just the Fitzmagic way. He's not going to be just okay. So now we're going to get into the final division to talk about here, the AFC West, before I give Bush the floor. If you guys have enjoyed, we're almost at the end of the video. Please make sure to click that subscribe button. Also, check out all of the links for Bush down below. So now we got the AFC West. Bush, what is your take here for yeah. the West? This is a guy I've been tooting the horn of since, like, April. I think um, Melvin Gordon, like is, is being so underrated. Like he's going to like, and my hot take for him is that he's going to finish top 10. I almost went hotter than that and said he was going to finish like top six or something. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> here's my main thing with Melvin Gordon. People assume because Philip Lindsay's small and Gordon is, is bigger that Lindsay's the better receiver. Like Lindsay ranked third worst in the NFL in terms of drops. And he, he dropped seven of 48 targets. Like he dropped like a very high percentage <laughs> of his targets. And he ranked 90 or 82nd in fantasy points per opportunity. So both rushing and receiving combined, despite very ranking very highly as a runner. So his receiving basically like tanked his, his fantasy points per opportunity. Pat Shermer comes in as the new offensive coordinator. Pat Shermer is a feature back guy. He likes feature backs. He has had a 65% opportunity share running back in eight of the eight seasons. He's been a head coach or coordinator. That's all of them for those keeping score at home. Steven Jackson in Atlanta. <laughs> LaShawn McC- or, uh, in uh, St. Louis, sorry. Uh, LaShawn McCoy in Philadelphia. He had Peyton Hillis and Trent Richardson in Cleveland. He had Dalvin Cook and uh, Saquon Barkley in Minnesota and um, New York. And I know what you're thinking. Those guys were all like solid running backs, maybe minus Peyton Hillis. But um, hey, <laughs> Dalvin Cook was a rookie that year. Like Dalvin Cook was a second round pick. Like he just threw him into the fire. Like we knew Dalvin Cook was a good prospect, but we didn't know yet about the NFL um, uh, how it would translate to the NFL. So Gordon was brought in on a two-year $16 million deal with nearly all of it guaranteed, despite ha- the Broncos having Lindsey and Freeman, who all of us in the fantasy community would just assume that they were going to stick with those guys, maybe draft a guy later. They didn't do that. They brought in Gordon because they needed an upgrade. Gordon should absorb all of Freeman's 24 red zone carries, 13 carries inside the 10 zone, and five goal line carries. And I also think he's going to vulture about half of Philip Lindsay's away because we can say what we want about Melvin Gordon as a talent. He is an excellent goal line back. He was always that good in Los Angeles. Even when he was shit for fantasy in terms of efficiency, we could always count on Melvin Gordon for touchdowns. He is going to be the primary touchdown scorer in this offense. And when a running back gets a 65% share, which is about what I project of the carries, the goal line work and the receiving work, because he's the better receiving back, they're most definitely going to finish as a top 10 back. 93% of the time, if you get 250 plus carries and six plus touchdowns as a running back, you finish top 15. 
I expect that and more for Gordon. I think he's a lock for all three. He's going to get the primary share of all three of the main type of things that we look for in fantasy running backs and potentially like a almost monopoly on the goal line and as a receiver. All right. Well, I thought last season Melvin Gordon was going to be a top six guy before he went to Cabo, obviously, before he started holding out when him yeah. and Zeke were chilling out. And I really liked Melvin Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon's very good. I just, I just can't buy it because Philip Lindsay is just like, he's just too good for me. I'm to not saying not he's not going to be involved. I just think him being involved in the receiving game is not going to happen. And he's only going to get like 30 to 40% of goal line work. I'm not saying if Gordon was, if I expected Gordon to be like the full fledged bell cow, he'd be ranked in my top eight. He's ranked uh, RB like 15 for me, because I do think Lindsay is going to be involved, but like Latavius Murray's involved in, in new Orleans. Like it's not like everyone, like pretty much Christian McCaffrey is the only one in the NFL, maybe Saquon too, that have like a full fledged monopoly on their backfield. Like everyone's in a timeshare to some extent. So, yes, it's kind of nerve-wracking that Lindsay's very good at running the ball. As I said, not receiving the ball. But um, the, the O-line also improved a lot, too. They added Graham Glasgow. It's Mike Munchak's second year, who's, like, the best – probably the best O-line coach in the league now that Skarnacchia retired. So, I, I just lo- – everything about Gordon's situation, I love. It doesn't even have to, like – the Broncos' offense doesn't even have to take a huge step for Gordon to be good, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, the thing is, I'm just out on, I'm just all out on Melvin Gordon. I just won't be drafting him at, well, I will obviously draft him like once or twice because I play in so many leagues that like, you're just a dumbass if you don't like a guy and you just don't draft him like once, but I just am not in on him. I don't think he's going to be that good. Cause I just like you, I, I was talking about before Philip Lindsay. I mean, the guy's had a thousand rushing yards, I believe twice in a row. I mean, he's an undrafted free agent. The guy literally lives in his parents' basement, just like myself. So I obviously like him for that. And I think that he's going to be able to just be good enough to that it just takes him down not to be inside the top 10. I wouldn't be surprised at all, though, if he was a top 10 guy, especially if the Broncos are very good and Drew Locke really makes that step up. I think this take kind of does kind of, you kind of need Drew Locke to be good. I feel like for Melvin Gordon to be good, to score these touchdowns. Yeah, the touchdowns is probably what's going to push him into the top 10. Yeah, if, if Locke is good, this is definitely possible. So I'm going to go into my take here before we end the video. And this is my hottest take by far. And that is that Austin Eckler, running back of the LA Chargers, who are going to be on hard knocks as you guys are watching this yesterday. So you could have already seen it. Maybe we saw Austin Eckler's Mr. Clean fucking bald head. So Austin Eckler finished the season last year with over 1,550 combined yards 2019. And I think this year he's going to do 2,000 all-purpose yards. Now, this might make him the best running back in fantasy football. He might take CMC and stuff him into the dirt, but I think it's entirely possible. He had only had 132 carries last year, obviously, because Melvin Gordon was there for majority of the season. He played in 12 games last year, and Austin Eckler only had four games without him. And I think that that's obviously going to increase. His rushing yards was outside of the top fit or his rushing attempts were out of the top 32 at running back. There's 32 running backs, in the NFL, obviously, because he was the secondary running back on the team, but not really the secondary running back because they were both very good in fantasy football last year. He had under a hundred target or over a hundred targets. And I expect that to be similar, if not higher in 2020 with Melvin Gordon gone, because Melvin Gordon, like you just talked about is also a very capable pass catching running back. If we look at the splits, splits Melvin Gordon with Melvin Gordon in the game versus without with, Melvin Gordon the guy was still fucking amazing 17 PPR points per game but without Melvin Gordon he was averaging 10 
plus more points, 27.25 per game. And this was not because of the passing game. He was getting similar passing or receiving work in the games with Melvin Gordon. But when he really stood out to me was when he was getting more attempts. He went from 6.33 attempts per game to 14 and went from 28 rushing yards to 55 and was able to score some actual rushing touchdowns where he didn't score a single rushing touchdown all of last season when Melvin Gordon was healthy. And I expect him to be very good yet again this year. I really think that his receiving work is going to elevate even further. I've called him in my videos multiple times. Christian McCaffrey light, obviously the situation for the Chargers is probably equally as shit if you're thinking as a team as the Panthers, but the Pan- or the Chargers actually have a good defense, and I feel like the Panthers, it might take a couple of years for them to get that good defense. So overall, I think Austin Eckler is just a very talented player. I think that this year is going to be the year where he really plays well and could be inside of the top, like, he could be the best running back fantasy football, finished inside the top five, I believe, last year. So it w- this isn't even, it is hot, but it's not super hot when you think about how effective uh, Austin Eckler was last year without Melvin Gordon. So what do you think about Mr. Eckler? Yeah, this I'm all aboard this take. If anyone's seen anything on our channel, they know me and Danny. Like, I have my RB7. Like, Austin Eckler, I have him ranked ahead of Miles Sanders. I have him ahead of, of Kenyon Drake. Like, all the me guys too. that everyone's in love with. Like, I, I love Austin Eckler this year. And you basically touched on it. The reason is, is everyone's narrative against Austin Eckler is that Tyrod doesn't chuck down, which also is false, by the way. If you follow yeah. me on Twitter, you'll know that it's false because I tweeted it out, um, why it is. But even if, he, even if that's true, even if you're right, when you say, oh, Tyrod's not going to check down as much because Phillip Rivers did check down at an alarmingly high rate last year. So it's yeah. probably going to regress a little bit, but he got eight more carries a game when, when Melvin Gordon wasn't in the lineup. Like that's a lot more than people think eight more carries plus goal line work. Like it's gonna, like the rushing increase is going to offset any regression as a receiving back. And anyone who compares Austin Eckler's receiving numbers to anyone other than Christian McCaffrey's is wrong because he's that good at, as a receiving back. Yeah. And you shouldn't even, no one should even be remotely scared of Joshua Kelly or Justin Jackson doing anything to Austin. Like Justin Eckler. Jackson was there last year when Melvin Gordon was out he didn't do shit. Yeah, so, I know. And Josh Kelly isn't good. Like, I, I remember watching Josh Kelly. Like, he's not that good. He's probably, like, one of them is probably going to get, like, a 10 to 12 carry roll. Fine. Like, take away the shitty carries that Austin Eckler doesn't need. Yeah, and in Buffalo, when Tyrod was the starter, LaShawn McCoy finished as a top 12 running back twice and was getting some dump-offs in those games. Obviously, LaShawn he McCoy. targeted Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler combined that year in 2017. Really? That's crazy. And, like, Tyrod doesn't check down a lot. Obviously, he did. If LaShawn McCoy, who's one running back, out-targeted two really good receiving running backs. Exactly. And LaShawn McCoy is not even that great of a pass-catching running back. Shout-out to LaShawn McCoy, obviously, for uh, joining the uh, Chiefs, I believe he joined. I'm a bit of a No, dumbass. he joined the Bucks. Oh, I'm a dumbass. He used to be on the Chiefs. Now he's yes. on the Bucks, and that's not going to do anything. So. Not even to know. But tomorrow, if you guys want to see us talk about the Bucks, check out the NFC edition tomorrow morning. Make sure you check back. Click that fucking subscribe button. Check out all of Bush's links down below. Bush, you can talk real quick before I end the video. Yeah, so on the draft guide, I mentioned it earlier in the video. Um, if you want to know what's in it, I can give you a rundown real quick. So the typical fantasy stuff is in there. Rankings, bus, sleepers, all that stuff. But the cool thing that's in there is I mentioned the strength of schedule videos. We're going to start uploading. Basically what we did in June and July, our show sheets um, before each episode. So we did strength of schedules, ADP values by round. We also uh, looked at like division previews and took like a sleeper, a bust, a value, a uh, league winner and a bounce back candidate from each division. So all that stuff's going to be in the draft guide along with the best resources you can use. Um, 
rookie profiles. So we did uh, scouting breakdowns of each rookie before the NFL draft, before they were actually drafted to teams. So you can go back and look at those and kind of determine how they fit with their new teams. Like guys like uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, for example, I wrote up and uh, it was a really fun write and, uh, and kind of there's some film clips in there to see how he's used and all that stuff. So make sure you check all that stuff out. Yeah, guys, definitely make sure to check that out. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the video. If you did, like I said, make sure to click that subscribe button. And I'll see you guys uh, in a couple of hours with the second upload of the day. And then I'll see you tomorrow, obviously, with Bush. So thank you guys all for watching. See you guys tomorrow. Love you all. Good boy.